Welcome to Season 1, Episode 13 of the Echo Corpus Christi Podcast, the podcast featuring Corpus Christi's creators, makers, doers, and builders. Russell Fronkis is our guest on today's episode. Russell is the director of the Coastal Bend Business Innovation Center and a professor in the College of Business at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Russell arrived in Corpus Christi a few years ago so that his wife could become a physics professor at the university. As a lawyer and CPA, his background ranges from private law practice to corporate finance in one of the world's most preeminent companies to building a startup from the ground up in South Dakota. At the Innovation Center, Russell's role is essentially that of chief facilitator, connecting the center's clients to resources from the high levels of strategy to the nuts and bolts of back office management and everything in between. He also works diligently to keep the center on mission while expanding its effectiveness within the multi-county area that it serves. In this episode, you'll learn all about the history of the Innovation Center, its relationship within the local small business community, and the opportunities Russell sees for growing its strategic services for local municipalities and for forward engineering business developers. Russell and the center are key cogs in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, and it's exciting to see where the center is headed in the future. Let's visit with Russell. Well, Russell... Welcome to the Etro Corpus Christi podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, we're really glad you took the time here at the Coastal Bend Innovation Center to visit with us today. Let me give a little bit of background about where we are. We're in a conference room, which I think is in an old bank vault. You bet. Okay. And we're here um, in Flower Bluff at the Coastal Bend Business Innovation Center, which I'll probably just call the Innovation Center or the CBIC. If that's, that's fine. Okay. Or the center. Anyway, we're okay. flexible. Awesome. So the first question we start off with on the podcast is, how did you get to Corpus Christi or what's your Corpus Christi story? I drove. No. <laughs> but the longer story is, uh, my wife, who's a physicist, PhD, mm-hmm. professor, and she does a lot of uh, theoretical research on these particular particles called neutrinos. She wanted to get closer to a lot of her folks in uh, College Station at the Mitchell Institute. So she started looking around potential targets. Here was one. And at the same time, you know, we had a two-body problem, so we came in, great folks here, met with them several times, and mm-hmm. they had this innovation center that had just transitioned from its prior director, was without director, and they were kind enough to give me the opportunity, and it's all about entrepreneurship, and my last part of my career has been all about serial entrepreneurship, so mm-hmm. very fortunate to be here, we're excited, it's been three years, and it seems like it's been a day. So That's fun, that's very fun. So. What, were, what was in your background that opened the door to you here at the center? Yeah, I like to tell everybody I grew up on a farm in Louisiana because okay. I think farmers are inherently entrepreneurial. They mm-hmm. have to, particularly in the old days, uh, figure things out, find <laughs> solutions. Sometimes right. part weren't, parts weren't readily available. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my kind of formalized education, uh, public accounting, I figured... I go into that from undergrad, CPA, gives you a lot of the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. and the ability to understand uh, all the details throughout an organization, not just the financial statements. I also, I practiced public accounting two years, but I always wanted to go to law school. Pleasure. And the world needs more lawyers, right? Because we're two. <laughs> um, but while I was in law school, I, I, I had a plan and it was a desire and I thought it would never happen. I was clerking for a firm that did predominantly personal injury and bankruptcy. They were partners, which you know that never mm-hmm. goes together. But these gentlemen had a lot of simpatico. So I could talk to them. I said, look, I want to go work for a law firm that does part law and part entrepreneur, new company, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I said, there's mm-hmm. one guy in town who does that. 
So I ended up working for a firm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana called Brantling Associates. It was a small boutique firm that did part complex commercial transactions, riverboat gaming law, and part entrepreneurship. He'd invest in deals, get broker deals, uh, particularly in the oil field was one slice. So I actually got to split my days up by doing regulatory gaming law, complex commercial transactions, some commercial litigation, and mm-hmm. also uh, working interest well drilling in Louisiana, particularly Salt Dome Place. So I ended up learning all everything there is to know about EMP in Louisiana. So it was a great, mm-hmm. uh, great avenue for success. Then as luck would have it, I was doing that a couple of years, enjoying life, mm-hmm. and another curve gets thrown. I get recruited by Microsoft Corporation to go work in the 90s in finance. Long story short, I took that job. Mm-hmm really uh, amped up the velocity of my career in that every day, every minute of every day, you learn something new and it's exciting and growing. So, But then stayed in touch with a lot of clients Mm -hmm. from when I practiced law and after about seven years at Microsoft, sure enough, one group said, look, we've acquired a patent for a particular type of contact lens. We know nothing about this, (laughs) but we want to do a startup. Uh And uh, it was great, 2005, Mm -hmm. uh, in the younger days, as I say, uh, launched a startup in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and still going to this day. And we manufacture and distribute a medically necessitated contact lens 30 countries around the world with distribution partners. So it's been fun. Multiple different other uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. I just love everything about entrepreneurship and uh, been very fortunate to get this role here in the College of Business, which the center sits in. So, And you mentioned before we started recording that you're also teaching a class in the yes, university. Yeah. Historically, I've taught uh, what's called social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I'm not teaching that this semester, but social entrepreneurship deals with entrepreneurship, driving a social cause to you know, provide a mm-hmm. good opportunity for a social outcome. I really enjoy teaching that course. And also I teach uh, Introductory to Business, which is a non-business core course that's mm-hmm. open to any major. So it's kind of what's called a survey course. You hear on the high points of all things business. And there it's a, a really good way to expose folks from different disciplines to the core functions of business and how business has an interaction with any career path you choose. So it's a fun so time. When I was an undergrad, we had an intro business class that we called Chonko because that was the professor's name. Are they referring to your class as Francus yet? No. Well, <laughs> or it's... Uh, the, I, because they can't pronounce my last name clearly, <laughs> I have heard it referred to as Russell's class. Okay. So, but it is a joy to mm-hmm. teach, and uh, you know, anywhere from kinesiology to psychology majors right. have a different perspective on the world, and maybe they didn't have core business skills in family. And uh, oddly enough, it really piques interest, and we get a lot. Several students come to me and say, mm-hmm. "Well, should I be a business major?" I'm like, "Well, you're a kinesiology major. I'll send you to an advisor, but here's what you can expect." So it's. Uh, it's very rewarding from mm-hmm. that perspective. It gives you a broad reach across the university. Exactly, exactly. So Corpus Christi isn't exactly known for being for its entrepreneurial ecosystem or for being a hub of entrepreneurialism. How did the center itself get started? A little bit of the history. I think some very insightful folks, both at the university and the community, recognize that those cities across the nation, uh, similar size as mm-hmm. well, benefited greatly from having a, a center that would helped to drive entrepreneurialism in the region, mm-hmm. particularly in the historic format of startups, if you will. 
we're not just tech startups. We're right. anything dealing with entrepreneurship, but the companies that are here that get accepted to the center have to bring a diverse slice to the economy. So we can't be replicative. We don't want to compete with those folks mm -hmm. that are currently, you know, entrepreneurs in the region, in the new world, but we'd want to be additive to that world. Sure. So what are what is the kind of the historical trajectory of the center? It started, I think you mentioned before we were recording about 13 years ago. Now, from what I'm told, there was a small office downtown co-located with the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Okay. And as things continued to congeal, uh, a project was put together. We're sitting in the building that we're in now, which is historically a Wells Fargo bank building. Okay. Wells was pulling out of this portion of town, probably consolidating from what I gather. So the building became available. So mm -hmm. now you have a place. I think the city put in some funding to acquire the building. And then the Economic Development Administration of the Department of Commerce put in some funding to mm -hmm. renovate the building. And to this day, we're what's called an EDA University Center. So we receive a portion of our funding from the EDA, mm -hmm. and that helps drive economic uh, diversification for the region. How did the partnership with the EDA, which I'm assuming is also at other universities as well, how did the partnership with the EDA affect the center here in Corpus Christi, particularly after Hurricane Harvey came through? Yeah, the historic relationship for uh, the EDA historically, let's take a step back, they fund public works projects that will help drive economic change. Mm -hmm. So if you think of the 70s and 80s, 99% of their budget to this day is, oh, we need water for this plant. Let's build a water tower. Let's put in water pipe. Oh, sure. we need a road. Those big things. In late 90s, someone in the ADA, and no one's answered my inquiries yet because I think they have governmental uh, memory fatigue. Uh -huh. They can't remember who did, but said, hey, you know, why don't we take one half of 1% of our total budget and start integrating with institutions of higher education mm -hmm. to drive EDA centers? to drive economic development through them, but not being very prescriptive. It may be an incubation center. It may be a project just to bring a particular industry in. So that small budget has, over the years, paid off dramatically. We're in our third cycle. It's a five-year grant cycle. We're in our third cycle of being an EDA university mm -hmm. center. Three days after Hurricane Harvey, to get to your question, uh, we get a call from the Economic Development Administration that says, Basically, you don't know this, but in times of natural disaster, the EDA drives the long-term recovery and resilience function for the economy, mm -hmm. not, not the rescue portion, if you will, right. but for the economic function in conjunction with FEMA. And what we do is utilize our closest asset, and that would be you. You know, The centers <laughs> were just basically, I don't know, seven, eight miles mm -hmm. from right where the storm hit, you know, all the way out to Rockport. So... Um, we picked up that ball and ran with it, and we had a, a great opportunity to help affect the community. Some research, but one great thing about the EDA is grants and expectations are results and impact-oriented. So, again, that ability to drive impacts with the EDA mm -hmm. has been great post-Harvey. What is the, like I mentioned a moment ago, we did have a conversation prior to recording, and we talked about the three focuses of the sure. center um, let's talk a little bit about what those three focuses have been historically mm -hmm. here and then maybe how they're um, expanding to, to into the community impact portion that you've experienced after Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. Historically, I mean, the center had, you know, maybe 10 years ago, one core function of 
let's be a physical incubator for companies that want to be startups that meet the entrance definition mm -hmm. here in the region. So you provide startup methodologies for those companies. You develop frameworks for their business models from a strategic development perspective. Mm -hmm. If they need other tools that are more blocking and tackling, maybe they can plug into some of our great partners in the region. In addition to that core function, the two other functions were let's com uh, communicate and educate to the public about all things business that are maybe not next generation, but would help your business now. Mm -hmm. So that's been basically driven by our Lunch and Learn series, mm -hmm. which historically was a monthly occurrence where a topic, let's say next generation web development mm -hmm. or A, it's tax time, let's have an accounting lunch and learn for businesses in the community. So folks come to the center, get that educational mm -hmm. format, and then they also get to network with similarly situated and sometimes diverse different small businesses in the region. So that education, mm -hmm. community education function. And then finally, we our coverage area is analogous to what's called the Council of Governments coverage area, which is a COG, and it's okay. 11 counties in the coastal bend. So we historically reach out to those counties in a variety of different formats, any way we can help to lift that county's mm -hmm. entrepreneurial or economic uh, system up, we do. Uh, Post-Harvey, I think because of a lot of the work we did during Harvey and a lot of the collaborative partners we integrated with, we realized pretty readily that the impacts we were having were broader and deeper mm -hmm. with fewer dollars spent. So that's always good. You know, exactly. how do you impact the community? Making the best use of a dollar. At the same time, we're part of the College of Business here at Texas A&M University Corpus Christi, and we're an accredited college. Mm -hmm. So, and we're actually dual accredited. But part of the college's accreditation, the accounting department's also accredited, which is a great hallmark Absolutely. as well. Amazing. The next generation methodology is one of the top tier things is as part of your accreditation review, we want to see how you have a socioeconomic impact mm -hmm. so to the community in which you live. So that dovetails perfectly sure. with our post-Harvey work. And what we're starting to drive is a concept in conjunction and utilizing the good folks and talent over at, at IC Squared at University of Texas at Austin, what's called community as a startup. Mm -hmm. So What's been realized over the years is rural communities in America have kind of suffered while other communities in America, the larger mega cities particularly, or tech mm -hmm. centers, have boomed. Sure. A lot of folks leave, uh, you have brain drain, all mm -hmm. these different problems. And at the same time, we realize that entrepreneurial principles and frameworks can be applied to communities. So treating communities as startups, that means cities, mm -hmm. those community leaders that are involved, those community organizations, facilitating their thinking in a way that drives their community in the direction they want their community go, to go mm -hmm. based upon its historic identity. Not every community in America is going to be Austin, sure, but you can be the best that you can be. How do we facilitate mm -hmm. that with some of the tools that are endemic to entrepreneurialism? So it's really exciting and we're looking forward to that new direction. Mm -hmm. That is a really op awesome opportunity and you know, you hate to say that you hate to take a disaster like a Harvey and say that that and try to just look at the only look at the bright side, because obviously it was devastating for the communities. Um, but there are sometimes those little nuggets of gold that come out. And it sounds like this is an opportunity that the center has 
uncovered with the help of the IC Squared in Austin and the partnerships here in the community that y'all have to be able to expand and serve these communities, expand the communities themselves by serving them, uh, by treating them as startups. So speaking of startups, what are, what are some of the services that the center itself provides for startups here, whether they are um, in-house or whether they are clients of the, of the center, but they're out mm-hmm. wherever they happen to office from? What are some of the services y'all provide? Sure. If you look at the incubation function for pure startups, mm-hmm. oftentimes companies have a great idea. They're just, they're, they have corporate formation, particularly, it's almost always an LLC, mm-hmm. but they don't have basic, basic items like what's our logo? What's our mm-hmm. brand? Who's our target market going to be? So we have a bank of graduate students who can do research from the MBA perspective, target their marketing, who are potential partners, Mm -hmm. a plethora of questions who do research for these pure startup clients. But also we have a set of, a suite of graphics design students. Mm -hmm. They've done great work over the years. They receive Addy Awards almost every year, as you saw from the great logos out Mm -hmm. in front. They'll help brand that corporation, give them the look and feel for that LLC that helps drive forward their success. So, so that's kind of some of the nuts and bolts. When it comes to um, the kind of consultative or strategic mm-hmm. guidance function, that varies greatly with the type of company and their leadership's background or mm-hmm. skill set, or sometimes they're a soft landing client, which is they're already formed, but they just need a certain strategic view of the world. So we'll help construct frameworks uh, for their business model. We utilize almost exclusively what's called the business model canvas. It's a one-page view of the world, how to think about your business in an agile yet focused manner. And it allows you to really work on those things Mm -hmm. that's most important to get you to the end goal, which more often than not is profitability. And that's a good point to bring up. We always try and have uh, a good client mix here. It has to be diverse to the area. But we also do reach out and serve and impact the communities, but we at least have two or three nonprofits that we help Mm -hmm. strategically guide uh, towards their goals. So they come in at no charge to the center. So it's uh, really that strategic development and making the right choices that's Mm -hmm. so key to having a good entrepreneurial endeavor. Who are who provides the consulting function here? Well, that's a great question because it can vary dramatically based on the company. Kind of tier one is myself. Mm-hmm. I'm also kind of triage because okay. if it's someone who needs, we recognize pretty early on in my tenure here, and I help drive that, that you know, I'm kind of a jack of all trades and a master of none. What does that mean <laughs> from a business perspective? Well, I can identify you need mm-hmm. in-depth project management tutelage. Okay. And I can help you at a high level, but as you drill down, uh, we want you to have the best resources available to help you mm-hmm. drive forward. So that's when we'll plug these uh, companies into what's called our business services network, which is either other clients who have more be a social network mm-hmm. Uh, social media function in that example, or maybe we'll plug them back into one of the faculty members at the university. Mm-hmm. So get we triage them and find out exactly what they need and move them on to that detailed type of work, uh, of assistance. So that way they can get on to the actual work mm-hmm. that they need to do. No one does the work for them. That's right. the part. 
but it guides them to what work needs to be done. So the depth and breadth of the College of Business at the university and the other colleges, we've integrated with engineering, just about everyone there in my tenure. So it's really plugging in that university resource set to the particular entity that needs the particular help. Are there model clients for the center, or is there a set of characteristics that you always look for when you're considering whether someone makes an appropriate client? Yeah, uh, the kind of top-line general test, if someone can be a client of the center is, well, step one is we don't incubate ideas, we incubate companies. So you kind of at least have to have a commitment to go for because what would happen, and some centers do incubate ideas, but we don't have the financial wherewithal to continually do that. What would happen is, you know, someone may struggle for years without ever launching. So there has to be that commitment to launch at least some time, talent, or treasure to be able to commit to Mm -hmm. that. And they have to have either a product, service, or idea that's generally diverse to the region. Because again, we don't want to empower someone, you know, let's say a landscaping company comes visit Mm -hmm. us. Well, they can't be a resident of the center because we don't want to help them to the chagrin of the other landscapers here in the community. If it was a landscaper that wanted to do scheduling with a novel software package or get into the robotics Mm -hmm. world for cutting lawns, they would make that metric because all of our funding drives towards diverse jobs. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the test, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's on a case-by-case basis, and we try and be as flexible as we can in light of our funding sources and being true to the community because we always want to be additive of jobs Mm -hmm. here in the region. In terms of, if you're looking also for emblematic clients, they can span the gold from, you know, kind of high tech, if Mm -hmm. you will, developmental software, developmental companies to someone who's making a part. uh, I'm thinking of a company called Variable Innovations. They're making a new form of transmission. And they Mm -hmm. actually have a shop that they work in Mm -hmm. patents and designs where they're constantly revving their physical product to change it to hopefully one day bring it to a mass market. So it can vary greatly. So if someone has a physical product idea, can the center help them with the resources needed for prototyping and developing that product through the testing, the QA phase, and all that kind of stuff? Um, Currently, we don't have those resources in-house at one time. We tried to in the nascent stages of 3D printing, mm-hmm. but you needed such a stack of folks. Sure. And since everyone that comes doesn't have a product prototype, what we do is we actually meet with them about their idea, meet with them about their product, see where their most likely place of opportunity is, and connect them with partners, some of which are historic members of the center who started out mm-hmm. as 3D-only printing companies, just riding the first nascent stages of that, trying to find out where their model have graduated, left the center, and are on their own. So that would be one of the referrals. And there are referrals we Mm -hmm. do too. So we don't help them with the prototyping per se, but we get them in touch with the people who can help them right away. What if it's a software development idea? Someone needs help with the actual development process of a, of a software idea they have? There, I think we've built a bank of, uh, I think we have four or five clients now who kind of span the universe of most software development that we've seen here mm-hmm. in the uh, Coastal Bend Center. We would plug them in with those folks right okay. away. So again, as a region, we're in the nascent stages of coding and software mm-hmm. development in terms of having 
density. It's all about density. You go sure. to a bigger market like San Antonio or Austin, you have a density of folks who have that skill set. But here, I think we probably have a high density relative to the region, and we'd plug them into those folks. Mm-hmm. The beauty of, I guess, software development, it doesn't have to be done with all the same people in the same room as well. So exactly. having those resources that you can plug them into is pretty critical. Yeah, and, you know, we, we don't necessarily, we want to drive jobs here, but one of our clients, growing pretty rapidly, I can't expose them because they're working on some novel software and they want to keep it undercover for a mm-hmm. while. They have one lead developer here, but they have a developmental team they've acquired from India, so mm-hmm. it's all virtual. Sure. And I think that's a model that, that works well in a city like a Corpus Christi that maybe doesn't have that density of actual developers here. You know, bringing someone here who is on a development team that is out of the city, getting them exposed to Corpus Christi isn't going to uh, unmotivate them to live here. This is an amazing place yeah. to live, and the cost of living is so wonderful that I imagine being able to bring in those outside folks into town is also a recruiting opportunity for the city and for the center. And I think uh, looking forward, and I've already seen it happen just in the last three years, the velocity of change here is probably more rapid than most cities Mm -hmm. because of where we're starting and where we want to go. The cost of living, the beautiful surrounds, and is a high attractant to folks in technological Mm -hmm. industries. My own personal perspective, I see that change happening even more in the future because mega cities, if you will, like Austin, Seattle, the Valley, Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. their rates, their cost structures are increasing more rapidly than ours. So mm-hmm. that gap is getting bigger. And at the same time, we're kind of in phase four of uh, software development where true remoteness can come into play, particularly with. I'm real interested to see what happens when 5G and IoT come in the next couple of years. It's totally going to change the landscape of Silicon Valley, in my opinion. And a lot of those roles can come here. And we're advocates of get ready, point mm-hmm. towards that. Let's look at, you know, make, ensure we have high-speed fiber throughout the region. Let's get ready for 5G coming and the IoT revolution that will plug into the manufacturing mm-hmm. function we have here. There's no reason that Corpus won't grow exponentially. As you're looking forward to that growth, what do you see the center's role to be in the greater ecosystem in Corpus Christi with the public entities that are here and maybe some other private entities that are around? Where does the center fit in? Is it the ringleader? Is it the cheerleader? Is it a major kind of the we bring the data and the information piece? How do you work with the other groups that are also working to expand opportunities in Corpus Christi? I think even before my tenure, during my tenure, and in the future, the key to the center is constantly being the facilitator. We're not the decision maker. That's all part and parcel of the Corpus Christi community or any other community in the region. But we help facilitate next generation thinking. Mm -hmm. And we kind of put a bow on the whole deal, but we don't decide what's in that box. Okay. And that's very important because we are, you know, a public institution. Mm-hmm. We don't choose favorites, but we facilitate what the community wants in the, in the area. And okay. I think that's a great role to be in because it's a lot about connectivity, some envisioning, mm-hmm. and it's about plugging into the past of Corpus Christi, but looking towards the future and driving forward. So facilitation, I think, is the adjective and the key. Have you found there to be a good working relationship between the center and, say, the Economic Development Corporation, City Council, and so forth? 
this city is set up with entities such as those you've mentioned that are forward-looking, mm-hmm. uh, exceedingly agile. The folks at the EDC have been phenomenal in looking to the next generation development of the city. The city council, the city itself, though we don't integrate with them on a daily basis, we get referrals from them all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we've become a trusted advisor for all of those entities you've mentioned, as well as other communities. So it's all about being a trusted advisor with no political or personal skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Here's the facts, and here's how we facilitate it. And it's just been a great relationship, and I think that will continue on for many years to come. Do you believe as one of the roles of the center is assisting the, company, the client companies here or even the community at large with finding the capital necessary to fund the projects? I know that you know, you know, we mentioned Austin, we talked about San Antonio and other cities, and one of the pieces when I read about or listen to podcasts from those cities, one of the, I guess I'll call it a common complaint if you're listening to the entrepreneurs or a common praise if you're listening to the VCs, is that there's a lack of funding local to those communities. You know, you get a startup in Austin, it might get some uh, early intro money or Series A money from someone locally, but that's 500 grand. And then they have to go to Silicon Valley or go to New York to get more money. Do you believe that the role of the center here is finding the funding, facilitating the funding, or helping people know how to go get it? Well, I think that's a good point. And if you look historically nationwide, that's the common comment of an entrepreneur. But I think you need to peel back the onion a little bit because each entrepreneur is kind of self-serving in that mm-hmm. you just give me more money in my ideal work. Absolutely. So there is some uh, truth in lending there <laughs> and some lack of objectivity. Uh-huh. But on the other side of the coin, historically what happened here at the center, it was all before my time, and I think it was a brilliant move to plug any potential gaps we have in that arena my predecessor uh, and some other great folks in the city of Corpus Christi realized that there was a need for an angel network. Mm-hmm. And they, in fact, developed what was called SCAN, the yep. South Coast Angel Network. And it's plugged into the National Angel Network Association and the Association of Texas. So that type of angel funding is here. But again, you know, it's it's kind of chicken and egg, right? If you've got the world's best eye idea, you probably don't need the money. It'll come knocking for you. The truth lies somewhere in between. So I think we're actually set up for that. From my perspective, I think what we do have is a talent deficit, and that's changing rapidly. Mm -hmm. We have rapidly, we have high velocity, we have folks moving in, and we have training going on at all of our, you know, we have the university, obviously, but any other partner here, everyone's training someone to be more technically adept mm-hmm. at some job function. And the velocity of that, I think, is faster than almost anywhere in the nation. Again, the velocity, because we need to get somewhere. So that's what's going to drive the real change, the weight of that. And you're seeing it already. Major entities coming to the region for right. manufacturing are going to need skill sets that didn't exist in the region. Community colleges step up, drive mm-hmm. those forward, other entities, et cetera. So it's happening. Do you see the center having a role in recruiting the companies and the individuals to come, or is the center more of a of a landing spot when they get here? Uh, I think a little bit of both. We do not actively recruit uh, particular companies. If one of our partners, CCREDC, refers someone to us, uh, we'll show them what we're all about, mm-hmm. the drive we can have for it. Again, we don't pick winners and losers, but we drive facilitation. 
I think the very fact that we exist, that has come up very often. The fact that we exist, we're known metric in the region. I hope everyone knows we try and help absolutely everyone succeed. And that recognition in and of itself helps bring companies to the region. It kind of dovetails back with our prior discussion. You know, I think we're, we're both lawyers and we both remember sayings from our old law professors. <laughs> Maybe they weren't old at the time, but they are now. <laughs> uh, particularly bright uh, individual, Paul Beyer, former Supreme Court clerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stands up in class one day and he said, to start the class, the most important thing you have to spend is your intellectual capital. And he goes, class dismissed. Think Whoa. about it. And uh, the only time he ever dismissed class with the one phrase, and that, and that's exactly what applies to uh, Corpus Christi, I think. And that's what everyone's trying to change. The university's trying to be the intellectual hub for the region. It already is. But how do you step that up? The Innovation Center has impacts here in the region, how do you step that up? How do you drive that intellectual capital for the region? So I think it all dovetails together. Companies coming here, they recognize that someone's partnering with everyone in mm-hmm. the community to drive that. They say, hey, that's the place I want to be for the future, sure. you know, Corpus Christi. So, And you've been here three years? Three years. Have yes. you seen any, are there any particular success stories from the center that both can be discussed publicly, but that you'd be excited to share? Sure, sure. There's uh, there's many even before my time, but I think we're getting, you know, 13 years old, I guess, or uh, physical place. And uh, good entrepreneurship oftentimes takes time. We, sure. we had a uh, pre-discussion before we started recording, being in the tech world, talking about all the failures. Mm-hmm. You learn about, about the failures. Companies here still fail, but um, one that comes to mind is Ensemble Group. Uh, started out at the core as a website development company, then all things web, quasi-media. But at the same time, they were um, working software development, and the, a program was called Gangscope. Okay. So this project called Gangscope, the software, the dream was to develop gang tracking software for police departments. Mm-hmm. That side gig, if you will, has been mentored, has marinated, has changed versions. And just now it's really starting to hit its what I call the early apex. And you've okay. you've seen mm-hmm. the waves. We're at the early apex. Now Gangscope's installed in seven seven cities around America with 14 different types of installs. Wow. And it's the number one gang tracking software in North America. Mm-hmm. They basically created that industry. Right. As things drive forward, you can see the logical next steps of the AI, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence coming on top of gang scope and being predictive of criminal activity, how that's used mm-hmm. in policing. It's already in the cloud, which was a big step. Sure. Uh, how and when virtual reality and augmented reality play into that with uh, police officer integration, we can just easily foresee that coming so it's really starting to explode and that's just you know that's that kind of national national kind of reaching uh software platform which probably was the dream and genesis of the university president and the community when this all started in initial discussions and it takes time so that's you know definitely um, not just an accolade for myself or my tenure but it's all those folks who thought about Mm -hmm. the center before so i think that's emblematic of 
a job well done. And they're steadily adding employees one at a time, those developmental types. And they're already up to nine employees. Mm-hmm. Gracie Martin, who's the founder, she's been uh, profiled in the uh, Economic Development Administration National Newsletter mm-hmm. as a up-and-coming national woman entrepreneur just two days ago for International Women's Entrepreneur Day, she mentioned that she was an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> and uh, that's how things can happen. Uh-huh, we both right. know in the software world. So good stuff. So that's a, an exciting um, outcome of a company coming in here to work. And I know that as we were talking before, you have many that are in what I guess would be commonly referred to as stealth mode. But one of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about gang scope is its future may include some AI. Is is artificial sure. intelligence, virtual reality? Uh, do you have companies incubating or working that are client companies here already in those spaces? In the digital media marketing format, we do have a company that is utilizing the nascent stage artificial intelligence for marketing okay. to consumers. So basically... The end, it's always when, with AI in my mind, it's best to think about what the optimized world would look like. We're not there yet, mm-hmm. but they're working towards a time and place where a product will be served up to you in some kind of format for you to purchase when you were just about to think about buying that. You didn't right. even know. There's some accidental examples of that. I think uh, if you look historically at the iPod, that was not artificial intelligence. That was a good guess because there were multiple media players mm-hmm. out there. Right. Apple announced we're going to have this iPod. The stock didn't move because no one realized that the consumer was going to pivot from function to design. Right. And that's exactly what happened. What artificial intelligence in its optimized format in the business world will do is provide consumers the seamless way to purchase items before they even know they need to purchase them, which in and of itself can be somewhat Mm -hmm. scary. But if you think about the world in which we live, the ability to be agile, short developmental product life cycles now, that actually increases economic turn dramatically. So that's exciting to see that coming. And hopefully... Well, not hopefully. I'm sure we will have more AI-related companies coming in. Uh, I can imagine from the training perspective, we're going to have at least some conversations with virtual reality or augmented reality companies Mm -hmm. because you have all these complex companies coming in with these manufacturing processes and they need to be trained. Well, what's the near-term future of training but augmented and virtual reality? Mm You don't have to go out to the job site. You can be in a virtual world. If you make a mistake while you're training, nothing catastrophic either physically is going to happen to the human being or to the apparatus, let's Mm -hmm. say. And that's coming rapidly. So it's going to be very interesting to see, particularly after, again, 5G and IoT drive this because of speed and data packets. So it's going to be a couple of years of interesting stuff, I think. Well, you have to have that the technological infrastructure in addition yeah. to the personnel infrastructure to make some of that fly. Yeah, fiber, ultra-high-speed broadband, 5G, then IoT. That's the steps you need to go mm-hmm. through. And I think we're going through those rapidly. If it was me, I was in charge of the world. I'd kind of mandate that across <laughs> the U.S. Sure. That's the new, you know, that's the new rail mm-hmm. in the 1800s. That's new interstate highway system in the 1950s. 
you know, it's way past the information superhighway. Mm-hmm. It's not information. It's the ability to do work virtually. Right. And that's what's key, I think. So let's get a little bit personal as, sure. we, as we kind of wrap up here a little bit. Um, you all have been in Corpus Christi, you and your wife and your young child yes. have been here for three years. Yes. What are, the, what are you excited about as a family or what do you enjoy doing as a family here in Corpus Christi? Oh, there's a variety of different things. You know, that physical layout, you know, you're in a city, you can enjoy the downtown vibe, but you're 10 minutes from the beach. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty amazing. And you're not that far from the hill country. The ability to do something different at the drop of a hat on any given day is, is really exciting. The culture and the people and the love of community identity is mm-hmm. really cool here. We were talking about it earlier. I don't even have to drive a deep inquiry to figure out the namesake of your podcast. It's self-evident. <laughs> uh, the sense of community is great. Uh, growing university is very important to us. Obviously, we're both university employees. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's future-looking. Everyone, you know, thinks, oh, the university is great to have. It's great to have now, but it's so important 20 years Absolutely from now. True. Absolutely true. You have to look at, and, and those times are compressing, but having been in technology world and IT, Seattle, Austin, Silicon Valley, they all developed because there were mainframe computers there in 1968 to 75, period. Mm -hmm. End of story. It's where the mainframes were. So how do you plant the seeds for 20, 30 years from now? It's a university, and that's the long-term view we like. Mm -hmm. I think uh, anyone who asks us that kind of personal question, you know, I'm from Louisiana, seven hours away. We have a couple of farms there. We enjoy going back, but this is our last best place. I've been all over the Mm -hmm. world, and we just love it here. Love the climate, and the people are great, and everything's phenomenal, so... Well, that's exciting. We obviously, as sort of newcomers to Corpus Christi, agree that it's fun to have access to the natural resources. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, being able to enjoy downtown, but to be 10 minutes from the beach and close to the hill country. And being a South Texas boy myself, I love the brush country, which is, a, you know, not many people find it beautiful, but I find it oh. beautiful. And I like the kind of wildness of Corpus Christi. We yeah. still have this um, frontier mentality that grew up through the King family and the King Ranch sure. and the, Ki- the Kennedy family and so forth. And it's fun to take what they were doing, innovating in the cattle world, you know, 150 years ago. We're still growing as an innovation center, to borrow your namesake here, but we're still growing as an innovation center and a hub for innovation here in Corpus Christi. So it's exciting to get to visit with those who are on the forefront of continuing to increase the pace of innovation and continuing to provide the resources. So thank you very much for taking time to come on the podcast. No, thanks very much for your time. And thanks for driving this podcast forward. I think it's phenomenal work effort. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Russell and the Innovation Center will continue to influence the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Corpus Christi for years to come. It's exciting to know that he and other local, state, and national business leaders are thinking about how and implementing ways to grow local businesses throughout the coastal bend and beyond. Be sure to follow the Innovation Center on Facebook at CCBICTAMUCC. That's at CCBICTAMUCC to keep up with the latest events and news from the program and to see if the center could be your business's next stop on the road to success. Please follow us on Instagram at Echocorpus. Thank you to our infrastructure partners, the Sound Guys, Clint Tucker Homes, and Sawyer Audiology. And thank you for taking time to listen.